Welcome back to the Horseman's Corner. I'm Howard Hale, host of the program. We're on part three of today's show, and with me, Roger Kyle, Hidden Ridge Farms, halfway between Elizabeth and Franktown. Any change in in uh, what you're doing as far as clinics and, and that type of thing at Hidden Ridge compared to where you were before? No, not not a lot of difference. Uh, I, I don't have quite the uh, the ground that I had there, so the obstacle course I'm I'm having to build myself, and that's taking me a little bit, but it'll be a lot of fun, and and uh, it will entail quite a few difficult things as well as, as not so difficult. And I'm starting to throw in a bit of horsemanship clinics as well, so I'm looking forward to those. Do you give uh, private lessons, or are these all group deals? Well, the the clinics are uh, they're all group deals. I do on occasion give private lessons. That I don't believe is my strong suit, though. Um, I really enjoy the clinics, and we try to keep those down to usually no more than eight people in a clinic. So there's still quite a bit of one-on-one during those. Roger, talk about uh, talk about some of the things that you feel are important as far as horsemanship is concerned uh, and, and working with the horse, will you? Well, I'll, you know, I, I, this of course it evolves for all of us. Um, and I'll tell you, I just can't believe how much I seem to learn from these horses every year. And it's a bit of a cliche anymore to say that you're a student of the horse, or the horse is your teacher, and this and that. But my goodness, it's so true. If we know what we want um, is something that the horse can do physically, and they're ready for it mentally. And then if you if you ask for it and they can't give it to you, then you know I'm doing something wrong. So I have to learn a better way of doing it. Um, I think the the thing that just hits home every day with me anymore is how incredibly sensitive a horse is it's we all we've heard for years and years the old thing of well gosh yeah they're sensitive they can feel a fly land on their hide that doesn't begin to scratch the surface of their sensitivity Um, there's so much more mental and emotional sensitivity in horses and i find uh, the more attention i pay to that the rest of it just goes easier and uh, it's it's almost I hate to use a word, but it's kind of thrilling to dig deeper into their sensitivity. They're just just incredible. They put us to shame. <laughs> Talk a little bit more about that emotional emotional sensitivity and and what you're trying to talk about there, would you? Oh, absolutely. I just had a a, a clinic this past weekend, and uh, one of the ladies in the clinic was telling me that her husband is is pretty good horseman. They're involved in a lot of the cowboy shooting and this, that, and the other on horseback. But uh, she asked me my thoughts on, oh, if, if horses love us and this, that, and the other. And I told her, no, I don't, I don't believe that horses love us. I think they're, they can absolutely be loyal and such. But I said, what so many people miss is the emotional aspect of horses. And, and really, um, that probably, my gosh, that's, that's two-thirds of a horse, I think, is the emotions. Um, and because of that... Then you can get into this, uh, what's the word, anthropomorphize, where we supposedly put human traits into animals or human traits into machines or whatever. But I'll tell you, they're just as emotional as as any human. They've got many of the personality traits, I believe, that humans do. And so it pays dividends uh, hugely to pay attention to the emotional aspect. And the emotions are so tied to that, that... deep down self-preservation in a horse and so 
if if I can do anything, and it doesn't matter if it's try to teach a lead change to a horse, if it's the first time I sit on that horse and I ask him for a left turn, if I do that with that left front foot planted in the ground, the poor animal's out of balance, he'll turn for me. But that, that self-preservation is going to be a bit bothered. And the more bothered that self-preservation is, it comes out in emotions. And uh, and, and so I just can't stress the, the value of at least admitting for so many of us, that, that horses absolutely have emotions, and, and they are an emotional animal. And so if, if all of a sudden those emotions that have taken them into a frame of mind that that involves fear, uh, may involve something towards panic, or it may, it may involve dullness. Maybe we have just done far too many repetitions of something. We bored the poor animal. Um, we're not going to teach them a darn thing. And... What we really risk, if, if that's the way we habitually work with the horse, we're not going to have a willing partner whatsoever. We're not going to have an animal that looks forward to seeing you walk up to him to try to learn something new each and every day. And so it's, it's, it's just invaluable to, to have a high value, I believe, to, to that emotional aspect of a horse. Give me an example of how that emotion is expressed, will you? Well, you know, you, you see animals, uh, you, you see horses, uh, gosh, you'll see that lead horse. If he gets pushed too many times in the wrong way by a horse that's perhaps perhaps uh, testing the waters, I think you see a little bit of, I, I guess I would say temper, a little bit of anger come out. Now, it comes out, it's effective, and it's gone. They don't hang on to it like so many of us do. Um, and that's certainly something I've learned over the years is, I don't know that, that I would say I lose my temper with horses. I perhaps use my temper sometimes, but I guess I can I can pat myself on the back because it's turned far more into just becoming more effective to the point that the horse truly understands something, uh, but I don't hang on to that, and, and horses don't either. But you'll see horses get mad at each other. Um, you absolutely will see a horse react out of fear if... Uh, You've got some bonehead on their back that, that uh, digs a spur into them, and everything that happens was unfair to that animal. Uh, they'll, they'll certainly show fear. They'll show panic. Um, I think as well they absolutely will show a, a, a real softness towards a human that they seem to really enjoy working with. Um, I've got a mare that, that, my goodness, she's taught me so much about sensitivity and, and some emotions, unlike any other horse I've ever had. And when things are right, when I've really been better for her tomorrow than I was today, uh, there's there's a softness in our communication. Um, I think there's a gratefulness almost between she and I both. Okay, what about uh, how do you go about that working with that high-strung horse? Let's let's talk about that first, and then we'll talk about the other end of the spectrum. But how do you go about approaching and working with that high-strung horse, Roger? Well, you know, I, I, I guess I've been lucky, uh, even back in the years when I was on the police department with horses, the, the horses I usually kind of gravitated to, I think, were the, oh, the ones I guess deep down I must have felt needed maybe some rescue, um, and typically they were, they were pretty hot-blooded, they were pretty high-strung. Um, back then I didn't do <laughs> things that, that I wished I had done that I know I can do now. I think overall the biggest thing with a high-strung horse is you have to understand that if they're high strung, you certainly have to be effective, but you always have to start with that that soft way of asking for something with with as as much subtleness as you possibly can 
and start from there. I think the mistake so many folks make with, with a high-strung horse is they assume that that's kind of the way the horse wants to be, and things usually start in an escalated manner between the human and the horse. And all that does, it just pushes more adrenaline into the horse. And if they're, if they're already adrenalized, generally speaking, more adrenaline is just going to make things worse. So there has to be a way that you can seek uh, a, a calmer way of handling that horse. And so often I think folks are better off, if it starts to get a bit out of hand, then just step back and leave it alone for a few minutes, maybe the, until the next day even. But that adrenaline is, is, is something that the horse has to learn um, to control, and it's 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 something that I guess the system learns physiologically. And, I, and I, when I was a police officer in a car, gosh, the first four, five, six high-speed chases or high-speed runs that that I had to make in a car, nobody could understand me. My my palms were sweating. I was probably screeching like an owl and scared to death. Uh, fortunately for me, I'm one of those humans whose whose system physiologically learned to deal with those adrenaline spikes. And and so, after a few of those high-speed runs, I was in complete control of my voice, my my thought process. I didn't jump out of the car at the end of it and overreact to a situation. It's the same way with a horse. The more adrenaline spikes they can feel, gradually more and more, um, their systems can learn to handle that. And I think that, for me at least, is the best way to deal with a high-strung horse, is to bring them back down, calm them down, and then start working with their adrenaline and massaging those adrenaline glands, if you will, but in, a, in an intelligent manner that I don't uh, end up putting the horse out of control because at that point they're just not going to learn a darn thing from me. Okay, let's. Uh, I, I think you've said something that was, was very important. You said sometimes you just have to back off and call it quits. Do you think one of the big... Uh, Big uh, secrets, if there is any secrets to training uh, horses, is knowing when the heck to quit. Oh, absolutely, Howard. There's that. That might be the the single most important thing. You know, Brian Newbert some years ago wrote an article, and I think it was called "Breaking the First First uh, Rule of Horsemanship." And that the given was that when you start something with a horse, you better finish it. Well. Um, through his article, it, it, it really pointed out some good things. You finish it, but maybe not that day, maybe not that 10 minutes. It might come in, in, you know, give the horse a half an hour. You might have to give them a day, maybe two weeks. You just don't know. But stepping back uh, not only helps me calm down, the human calm down, but it certainly allows the horse to soak on things. What I do try is to end absolutely every session and it doesn't matter what it revolves around, if it's a trailering issue or equitation or anything else. Um, if I couldn't quite get what I was after, and the horse started to get pumped up to the point that, that I knew it just wasn't going to be fruitful for either one of us, I'm, I'm absolutely going to go back to something that I know the horse can do for me, and I'm going to end with a, a real mental softness with that particular session with that horse. And if I can get the head down... While I'm on their back, through the reins, I'll ask them to drop their head. I'll get off their back, and I'll just reach over and try to get them to drop their head where you can just, oh, gosh, almost as though you took your heart out of your chest into your hand and rubbed them on that forehead. If I can end with that softness, then I know the next time I go to see that horse, it's going to be just fine. Roger, let's take a break, but you folks stay with us. We'll be back with more in a moment. You're listening to the Horseman's Corner. 
Welcome back to the Horseman's Corner. I'm Howard Hale, host of this show, and let's finish out today's program with the rest of my conversation with Roger Kyle. You know, you mentioned Brian Newbert, and I'll I'll tell you an interesting little story. Watched him working with a Mustang. He was working on getting the horse's feet picked up. Wasn't having much luck. Brian quit, went and did something else, came back to it about 15 minutes later, and boom, 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 and had all four of them picked up. It's amazing, isn't it? In fact, very similar story to that in that article that he wrote. In my mind, not only is that a wise horse person, but that really shows uh, some real intelligence in that horse. I swear they've got a chalkboard up in that brain. And if you can leave them with something other than a, a combative thought or a, a, something that's just got too much adrenaline in it, if you, if you can end where you're at with that softness and then come back to it, it's, it's going to be a, a good deal for both the human and the horse. Yeah, he rode the horse well enough when he, he knew when to quit and knew when to go back and, and try it again, and it worked like a charm. Let's talk about another aspect. We've talked about the high-strung horse. What about that horse that's become dull? Do you think some horses are naturally dull, or do they become dull through human interaction? Well, I, 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 I kind of have a pet theory, and that's all it is, and I certainly have no no uh, science behind this. I think that, that when a baby hits the ground, I think all foals uh, probably start at about that same sensitive degree. Um, nature and nurture changes some of that, and, and certainly just like us, some horses sh- seem to just naturally show, um, I guess, a bit of dullness. Um, I still have yet to meet a dumb horse, so I, 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 I could, cannot attribute that dullness to that. So I think so very often that has been put into the horse by the way the human worked with the horse. Uh, they overdid something. Maybe they, they uh, um, overdid the, the imprinting process, if, if that's what somebody does with them. There's so many ways you can dull a horse down. Repetitions uh, defeat. You know, you, you, you ask the horse to do something, and they give it their best shot. It's not quite right. But it was towards that, and and if you can accept that and then build on it, you won't certainly impact the horse in, in some way that will dull them. But I think so often it's hard for we, as humans, to ask for something that we feel is simple. The horse tries, but but it, they just can't come through yet. And so we push it harder the next time and harder and harder. We just keep coming back to it. And many times I think the, the horse will finally do it for us, but, boy, we haven't done anything to gain their trust, and we certainly haven't done anything to gain their willingness in horses like that. So I guess if you really pin me down, Howard, I'd have to say, for my money, most horses that end up dull, um, that got brought about through through the human. Yeah, some horses are a lot touchier than others and and, uh, and more responsive naturally, but I'm, I'm with you. I don't, think there's a, I don't think there's a horse out there that... Uh, Oh, there's always exceptions to every rule, but I don't think one, uh, eh, maybe I've run into one that I thought was kind of dumb, but most of them aren't dumb, but uh, occasionally you'll find one that's that's really, really dull. It takes uh, more than you would think to elicit a response from the horse, and, and uh, I think you're right. I think it's probably handling. Well, I think so often, too, and, and I really try to push this in, in any clinics that, I'm in, that I do, that folks bring... You know, I've, I've kind of got a pet peeve when somebody brings a horse in, and he's a big horse, and, and you ask what his name is, and they say, oh, it's Moose, or it's Lummox, or it's something, you know, silly like that. I, I always mention to them to beware 
of, of what you call your horse. And if it's moose, nine times out of ten, when I ask them that, it's, they, they say, well, he's lazy. He's big, obviously, and he's just, he's, you know, he's just kind of clumsy. He's just, he's a dull horse. So I called him Moose. And I'm not uh, telling people not to name your horse Moose, but if you call him Moose, what are your expectations of that horse? And uh, much like human children, if, if I call my boy dummy too many times, he's going to start thinking he is, and I'm going to treat him that way. And I think it's very similar with horses. Oh, I don't know. We had one around here we called Doug, and that, uh, and uh, you can obviously know why we called him Ugg. Turned out to be a great horse. <laughs> yep, yep. So there's certainly some truth in the names, but but it's something worth worth thinking about uh, so often. And and I see that a lot uh, with folks and, and what, what they expect to get from their horse. And they tell me he's lazy, and that's what they get. I, I can get on the horse, or I can work with the horse on the ground, and, and within a matter of minutes, typically... The horse isn't lazy at all. Um, I think enthusiasm from the human can take a dull horse. And the, just the enthusiasm and, and maybe overdoing the praise a little bit, maybe sometimes almost get silly about the praise, you kind of excite the horse into thinking, my gosh, maybe I did do something really special this time. And, and I think you can, you can draw something other than dullness out of so many horses, but you have to work at it, and you have to want to. Uh, I've, I, like I say, early on and forever, um, my wife has finally pointed this out to me. I'm kind of a rescuer, so I, I look at some of these troubled horses, and I just have a natural affinity for them. So the duller horses uh, in years past were ones that typically um, I didn't like. I didn't care to work with them, and, and the ones on the police department that were supposedly so bomb-proof, they weren't so much bomb-proof as they were just dull. But I didn't care for them then. I look back, and I think... I really wasn't fair to those those types of horses at all, and uh, I regret that. Well, these these uh, these horses are really extremely uh, uh, interesting, and and uh, but if if I'm under if I'm understanding if if you're working with that horse that's a little bit dull, uh, you know sometimes they say uh, start out with a soft field, do as little as as possible to get the job done, but do right. as much as necessary. Do you think that really applies? Oh, it does. It does. You know, you, typically when somebody says my horse is dull, usually what that means to me is they're saying he's not responsive. And more often than not, if he's not responsive, what has happened is, is that horse has been nagged to do things. And, you know, you, how many times over the years you've gone on trail rides and, and there's always somebody out there that is constantly, all day long, kicking their horse to keep the horse going. Um, and, and so that horse can be, I, almost without fail, changed around if you go right back to what you said. You offer the softest of a field of that horse to perhaps go forward, if that's what you're after. And if they don't, then that, that second time you become effective. And effective might be more firm than what most folks uh, perhaps feel good about. But if it's fair, the horse is never going to respond in anything but you betcha i'll do that for you and that fairness is what is so uh, important it's um they're probably I, for my money there's not a more fair-minded creature on earth than a horse and so folks when i tell them that um, or you demonstrate that in the clinic um a lot of times I, I can just tell they're thinking oh boy i wish you hadn't tapped that horse that hard with the tail of that lead rope so i'll try to explain to them do you think for a second 
that if the lead horse out in that pasture walked up to that same horse that I just worked with, and however you tell him that I want you to move out of my way because there's a fat, juicy dandelion there and I'm going to eat it, do you really think that that lead horse is going to kind of mamby-pamby around and, and hum and haw about how he's going to get to that flower? Is he just going to pin his ear a bit? He's going to use his body posture. And if the slightest try to get that horse to move away from the flower doesn't work, then, boy, howdy, that lead horse is going to look like a bolt of lightning for all of two or three feet, and that's going to be sufficient. Or the teeth will come out, or there'll be a kick or something. So they become effective, but they won't have to do that a time or two before he comes back that next time and says, hey, are you going to move for me this time? And that horse says, yes, sir, I'm moving right now. So it's the same with us. That that ask with as little as, as you can, but as much as is necessary is 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 probably the single best road to keep away from from uh, bringing about a dull horse. Roger, you said you'd had some uh, had some problems with your back. Uh, you haven't been able to ride for a while. What has that taught you? And what have uh, uh, you learned from having to work with those horses, mostly on the ground, if you're still working with them? You know, Howard. Um, gosh, I, I could write a book about this this past eighteen months. I think. Interestingly enough, uh, this started about oh gosh, oh October of two thousand ten. Um, and what I found over the months was was I was becoming um, oh less willing to work with, with some of the the tougher horses that might have been coming my way. A lot of them were warm bloods. Um, and I won't say, I, I wasn't afraid, but I knew I had to be more careful. And I had to find a balance between um, still being effective with the horse and yet being wise enough not to get myself in, in a real bind. And physically, what, what ultimately happened was I had to get some injections in some spine facets and this, that, and the other. But I was at the point that if I moved wrong, um, I, my back would seize up. And it was becoming, a oh gosh, once or twice a week. And so what it really taught me was that I think I was doing more than I needed to do before that. And this taught me to slow some things down, um, use my intelligence better, I think, in being more effective, but with more subtlety. And and uh, I hope that's something I never forget, and I just work harder and harder at from this date forth. And I'm almost 60 now, so I've, you know, it's, it's, it's time that I am perhaps smarter than I've been for a while anyway. But uh, bless these horses' hearts, as long as I could keep my uh, apprehensions out of the picture, things were going just fine. Finally, it, my, my back just gave out enough that, that uh, I had to stay off horses for a while. But things are coming back fine now, and, and uh, that's taught me an awful lot. And I'm thankful for the health that I had even then, and certainly thankful for what I've got now compared to that. Well, that does it for today's edition of the Horseman's Corner. I'm Howard Hale, host of the Horseman's Corner, and since it's time to close it out, I'll say goodbye. May God bless. See you next week, same time, same place.